I'm uh, glad to be with you this morning. If you don't know me, my name's Gary. I fill in from time to time, and uh, I have a bit of a weird, uh, a weird brag for you this morning, and that is simply that I am done my Christmas shopping. I'm uh, quite proud of that. Uh, I, I'm glad to get out of the way. And uh, Candace and I, whenever we finish our Christmas shopping, we like to end our shopping trip by going out for a nice coffee and sitting and just relaxing and really kind of reveling in the fact that we're done. And so uh, when we did this last week, uh, we, we actually ended up sitting kind of across but over from a gentleman, and we were like at least six feet apart in case the premier's listening this morning. Uh, but uh, he received a phone call, and at first he kind of like was checking his pockets, and eventually he lifted up a napkin, and uh, he found his phone, and he looked at it, and he answered it, and he said, hello. Oh, hi, sweetheart. How are you? Oh, you're out Christmas shopping. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for doing that. Yeah, you know it's not really my thing. Oh, you found something for your mom. What are you thinking? A fur coat. Well, cool. That sounds really nice. Uh, excuse my ignorance. What's a, what's a fur coat cost? $8,000. Okay. Well, you know what? I love your mom. I think your mom's awesome. We owe your mom such a gift of gratitude for all the help she's done. And, and just as an aside, Mark, you're allowed to say nice things about your mother-in-law. It's allowed. But, uh, but, but, you know, I, I'm really excited by that. So go ahead. Put it on the credit card. We'll talk about it more later. Oh, where are you now? At the dealership. Okay. You know what? Your dad does talk about owning a Mercedes all the time. I, I, yeah. How much? 80 grand? You know what? Your dad's worth it. I think you should get it. No, don't wait for me. Just sign the papers. Sign the papers now. We'll, uh, we'll take care of the details later. Your sister. No, I love your sister. I don't, I don't know anybody who's went to Hawaii and didn't love it. Well, I, I don't think you should just get two tickets. Get four tickets. That way she can choose who she wants to take with her family, friends. Maybe she'll take you. First class, of course, five-star, obviously. Eleven grand. Fair. I say do it. All right. Well, love you. Thanks so much for doing the shopping. I'll talk to you later. And he ends his call, and Candace and I look at each other, and we're just like, wow. Like, I just spent, like, $100,000 on three gifts. That is amazing. We're just kind of, so I'm just kind of looking at him. He's looking at his phone, and eventually he kind of catches my eye, and he looks at me and says, hey, do you know whose phone this is? <laughs> and so the moral of the story is I'm done my Christmas shopping, and you might be too. I don't know, but uh, uh, that's, a, that's a big deal for me. Christmas season is, is much less stressful when you have less to do, so... Uh, uh, glad to be with you this morning, and we're just going to talk a little bit about kind of ending a series we've been working on. And back in September, we simply spoke on a, on a single word. We spoke about the word follow, and we just talked about how choosing to follow Jesus might just be the beginning of a relationship with him. And we focused on this idea that you have to follow first, because why else or how else would you know someone well enough to believe and trust in them? if you don't even know them. And so it, it just kind of uh, came off this idea of that, uh, a verse where Jesus said, you know, I've come to simplify. I've come to explain who the Father is. And in doing so, in allowing you to see who the Father is, I give you an opportunity for so much more. And we talked about how following back then meant following. It meant following Jesus as he moved from town to town and as he spoke and as he performed miracles. And then we talked about how today, that looks a bit different, but it would be things like reading through the Gospels and seeing who Jesus was. It would be things like praying, even if you're not sure if anyone's listening. It would be things like uh, maybe talking to believers, talking to people here at Kingsway, and just asking a simple question, what has God done in your life? And being amazed by the answers you're about to get. And things like joining a small group. Maybe for you, your first step, maybe your starting point 
was joining Starting Point. And uh, then in October, we moved on to another word. We moved on to this word, believe. And we talked about how in Jesus' time, people who we would call disciples, they followed and they believed. And it wasn't just the 12 that we often talk about. There were crowds of hundreds or maybe even thousands following Jesus everywhere he went. Every time he spoke, they listened. Every time he performed a miracle, they were amazed. And these people, one day when Jesus was teaching them, and he was using an analogy about how his body was like bread and his blood was like wine, and people didn't understand. And they got upset because they thought he was talking about very strange things. And Jesus watched as hundreds, if not thousands, of his followers walked away. And they said, we can't accept this. And they just left. And in that moment, Jesus looked over to the 12, to the, his closest friends, and he simply looked at them and said, are you guys leaving too? And you'll probably remember what Peter said. Peter simply said, Lord, where would we go? We have come to believe. In other words, we have come to put our faith in you, our trust in you, that you are who you say you are. You are the Messiah. And from that moment on, they would have, they would have called themselves more than followers. They would have said, we don't just follow you. We believe in you. And what we learned is that it was belief, not obedience, that secured our salvation. It's, it's belief, not obedience, that made us right with God. And so something we didn't mention last time, but I might just want to add in, uh, is just this incredible idea that just came to me. Um, we all know that moment where Jesus said to his disciples, who do you guys say that I am? And of course, Peter answered correctly, you're, you're the chosen one, you're the son of God, you're the Messiah. But I want you to think for a second when that question was asked. How long into their journey with Jesus did, they, did it take for them to respond that way? And the answer is this, it took two years. They traveled with Jesus for two years before Jesus knew that they knew the answer and asked them that question. I think that's so powerful to think about that following Jesus may take some time to get to the point of where we, where we may come to believe in him. But by following him, we get to know him, and that's how we can form a relationship with someone. And then finally, now we're into not November, and we're going to finish up with this third word, obey. And I should probably mention that it's not one, then the other, then the next. They kind of build up on top of each other. And so this word obey, we don't really like. We, we kind of reserve the word obey for, for dogs. You know, we say that we're going to send our dog to obedience school. We don't typically say we're going to send our kids to obedience school. And I found it's a good idea to never, ever say that you might want to send your spouse to obedience school. We reserve that for dogs, right? Unless, of course, you're a member of PETA, and then you're not supposed to send them to obedience school either because your dog and you are equal partners in that relationship. And so that's how much we don't like the word obey, that we don't even want to tell our dogs that they should obey. But we're stuck with that word, and I thought about, should I come up with a nicer word? I'm like, no, that's the appropriate word. And as we go through here, we realize that it's the, it's, I think it's the word that's the most easily misunderstood and the one that might cause some misunderstanding as we work through this word obey. And as, as we read through the book of Acts, we see that the people, uh, Jesus' disciples, those who were following in his footsteps, we, today we would call them Christians, they chose to live very differently than those around them. They didn't want to live like the Romans lived. They didn't want to live like the Jews lived. They wanted to live like Jesus lived. And so they started to live a life where they were obeying the teachings of Jesus. But I would argue this, I doubt they would have used that word. I think they would have simply said, we are choosing to model our lives. We're choosing to mimic the life of Jesus because of who we know that he was. You see, they began in organizing their entire lives around what Jesus had told them. I think a great example is the Last Supper. 
Jesus, at the Last Supper, of course, he said to them, listen, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And he taught them how to give thanks for the bread and give thanks for the wine and recognize who Jesus was in their lives. And he said, do this whenever you guys meet together, whenever you eat together. I want you to do this. And then you might think, yeah, but aren't there rules for, for communion? Doesn't, doesn't Paul lay out a whole bunch of steps for us, things we should and shouldn't do? And the answer is yes. And the answer is yes because people weren't doing as they were told. They weren't following Jesus' example. Instead, you would have people who came early for these meals. And just, ima- just imagine Gord here sitting next to Brian, and when the tray of bread comes to Brian, all those little perfect cubes of bread, Brian just kind of makes a little pouch out of his shirt and dumps them all in there and passes it on. And then Gord looks at him, and Brian's just like, I'm hungry. And then, and then the, the tray of, of, of those little tiny uh, shot glasses of, of grape juice come along. And, and Brian, as quickly as he can, as the tray passes by, is just double-fisting as many as he can on the way past because he's thirsty. Well, of course, Paul would respond to that. Paul would remind them, that's not what Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us humility. Jesus taught us love. Jesus taught us a different way of living. It was a lifestyle they were living and, and their values, and they were simply acting on what they believed. And what they found out was the closer you followed Jesus, the more you seemed to want to obey. In fact, it was a little bit like a math equation. Following plus, o- plus believing would just lead to obeying. But I think today, a lot of people fear that concept of obedience. They don't, it doesn't sound like something they want to do. They kind of say, not so fast. I don't know what being obedient to God might do to my money, to my finances, to my relationships, to my, to my, life, my married life, to my, to my relationship with my kids. I don't know what it's going to do to my weekend drinking and my, my drug use. I just don't know what that's going to do, and so they hold back. I hold, they hold back because they're not sure. But I would just want to remind you of this, and it's a simple fact of parenthood, especially as your kids get older. If your kids believe that you have their best interest at heart, if your kids believe that you want what's best for them, they're going to be open to what you have to say. And if you have teens, you know that doesn't mean they'll always do what you ask them to say, but they're going to be open to it because they know that you have their best intentions at heart. I mean, think of it this way. As you got older, as, as you were in your teens and early 20s, did you have a friend who always seemed to get you in trouble? Just for a second, picture that person, that person who always seemed to get you in trouble. And if you can't picture that person, that's because it was you. Somebody else right now is picturing you, but just picture that person. And you're like, I don't know why I did that stuff, but my friend was doing it. I don't know why I did that, but my boyfriend was doing it. I don't know why I did that, but my girlfriend was doing it. And now I'll think about it. Do you still hang out with that person? they still have that kind of influence in your life? And the answer is probably not. You may not even know where they are anymore, except on when you can't sleep at night and you creep them on Facebook. But besides that, you don't even know where they are. But there is a time in, their, in your life when they could get you to do pretty much anything because they were your best friend and you just believed that they had your best interest at heart. So now the church, the church gets to this word obey And I think often, I want to say we get it backwards. We start with obey, but I don't think we get it backwards. I think we start with obey, and we tend to want to stay there. And I think there's, I can understand why. I mean, just look how thick your Bible is, and think about how thick the gospel is in in relation to that total thing. You know, when we, we have to change our thinking, because we understand that we obey not to earn God's love, but instead we obey because of God's love. And I give you an example here. And I, I, I'm careful not to put words in God's mouth, but this is how I would argue that God would say it to us. He would say this to me, 
He would say it to you. Would you say this to everyone? He would simply say this, I want you to follow me until you get to know me. Because once you get to know me, you're going to fall in love with me. You're going to come to believe that I love you and that because I love you, I want what's best for you. So will you listen to what I have to say? Because I can tell you, I have things to say about your marriage. I have things to say about raising your kids, and I have things to say about your relationships in general. I have things to say about your money, about your honesty, about your ethics, about how you deal with people. I even have things to say about your health. And if you choose not to listen to me, if you choose instead to ignore what I have for you and allow sin to turn your life upside down, can I tell you something? That if you come crawling back to me, I still love you because I never stopped loving you. I would never take my love from you. I would never take my forgiveness from you. I would never take the eternal life that I plan to spend with you away from you. But can I tell you, as somebody who does love you, it would break my heart to see you let sin turn your life upside down and destroy you. So instead, would you listen to what I have to say? Would you follow my blueprint for your life? Because I can tell you, you'll be so glad you did. Our obedience to God does not come from the fact that God's God and we're not. We should just do what we told. Our obedience to God comes from the simple fact that God loves you so much and he designed you and he created you and he knows exactly how the world works and he wants what's best for you. And he knows that if you, if you live a certain way according to his ways, you will enjoy a better life, a happier life, a more stable life. You know, it's... Um, it's, it's, it's not something that God hasn't proved. Think in your own life. Has God proved to you that he loves you? Has God proved to you that he knows what's best for you? He has in my life. But don't take my word for it. I think we should go back to the words of Jesus. And I like to go to a, a very well-known parable, and you probably know it, because if I say to you it's the parable of the wise and foolish man, builder, guy, uh, I thought... Maybe somebody in the back might have said guest speaker, I'm not sure, but the wise and foolish builder. And we'll get to that in a second, but we need to put a little context around it because that's so important. And what we need to realize is that Jesus is just finishing the Sermon on the Mount. We all know that. This is a sermon that was so long, he had to cater a lunch for the people. It took all day, and he was teaching. He was teaching about so many things. But in the middle of it, there's a great section where, where Jesus compares and contrasts these uh, set of ideas. And he begins all the statements by this. They start with, you have heard it said. And then he finishes by saying, but I say. It's a powerful moment of teaching. I'll give you a few examples. In Matthew 5, verse 21, it says, you have heard that your ancestors were told. So that's kind of a double you have heard it said. He said, you have heard that somebody else has heard that you must not commit murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. And of course, everybody nodded their heads and said, yes, we have heard that. And then the very next verse, Jesus says this, but I say, but I say if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. Then he continues a few verses later, verse 27, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Very next verse, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. One more example. Verse 38, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. A lot of people don't realize that actually is in the Bible. It's in the Bible a lot in the Old Testament. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It was a common legal practice. 
But Jesus responds in the very next verse, verse 39. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. And that's hard to wrap your brain around. So Jesus actually goes through a few more examples in the very next verse. If you are sued in court and they take your shirt, offer up your coat also. And then he finally finishes by this. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear a mile, and that Roman soldiers were allowed to do that. They could just, anybody they saw, they could just pick you off the street and say, you have to carry my stuff. But there's a rule. They could only do it for a mile. And it says, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, I say carry it for two. You see, he wasn't calling them to a new standard, but a higher standard. It was more than just the physical act now. Jesus was after your heart. He wanted to know where your heart was. But make no mistake, that's a call to obedience. He's asking you to live a certain way. And at the end of all of this, as Jesus finished up this entire sermon, he eventually gets to the point where he gives us an example of why. Why you should live like that. Why you should be more concerned with the but I says rather than you've heard it said. And he does this by giving us a parable. And a parable is just a very concrete, understandable piece of information to, to kind of anchor us to the, the more theoretical, if you will. And so it starts in Matthew 7, 24, and it goes on for a few verses here. So um, really what he's doing, though, is he's talking about this is about hearing and then doing. This is not a message about salvation. Some people skim read over this, and they think it's talking about salvation. And if you don't know enough and build enough bricks under, of, of knowledge and understanding of with Jesus, when a storm comes, you're going to be washed away. But as we're about to see, that's not what it says. And it actually says, starting in verse 24, it says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. And then it continues. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it, they're foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You see, it's really a parable about hearing something, knowing something that you already know, and then doing it. It's not about increasing your knowledge. It's not about understanding more deeply what Jesus is saying. It's simply taking what Jesus has shown you to be true and living it out. You see, we obey because it's smart, because it's wise. Just like building a strong foundation to your house is smart. It's the wise thing to do. And we know this. We all know that. Build your foundation on something stable. That's wise. Build your foundation on something unstable that your house might collapse. That's unwise. Everybody knows that. And I, I want to show you a brief a little video clip here. It's from uh, 1996. This is in Quebec. It's in the Saguenay region of Quebec. And um, it, just the re region itself is basically built in what we call, it's called a rift valley. And so what that means, it's like a sunken funnel shape. And what happened was they had rain from between 10 to 12 straight days. You just imagine a powerful rain for 10 straight days. And as that water all collected higher up, it began to be funneled down into this town, into this, into this city. And what happened was that the, the equivalent to a Niagara Falls was entering this town through the main street every day. Every day for four straight days, they had that much water pouring into this town. And it was the most expensive natural disaster in Canadian history. $1.5 billion worth of damage 
16,000 people had to be evacuated. And what they learned, of course, is it didn't matter the size of the building that was affected. It mattered where that building was. And so we're just about to see in a clip here this huge apartment building just toppling down because it had been built on, on the riverbank. And as the water eroded underneath it, it just collapsed, and they lost that entire building. And then there was this house, this small little house that's still there today. That's a, that's a picture today. It's actually a museum now of, uh, of um, kind of in memory of the flood, if you will. But that little house standing right in the middle of the flood path uh, withstood the water for the entire 10-day period. For 10 straight days, that house stood there. And the reason was simple, that it had this poured concrete foundation directly, directly onto the bedrock. And what the parable tells us is that if you organize your life around what Jesus has told us, and even if we just limit that to the Sermon on the Mount, that's a good start, but if you, if you focus your life, you organize your life on those moments and what Jesus has taught you, what we find out is that, that, will, that we will be able to stand, withstand those storms. Because you'll notice when we read this scripture, it doesn't say, if a storm were to come. It actually says, when a storm comes. And because Jesus says to us, listen, you're going to have storms in your life. He says, I love you, but you're going to have difficult moments. You're going to have difficult moments in your marriage. You're going to have difficult moments with your kids. You're going to have difficult and hard decisions to make around your finances, with your work, with your career, going to school. There's going to be difficult times. And he says, but if you choose to build your foundation on doing as I've told you, again, not knowing what I've said, but doing what I've told you, he says, you'll be able to withstand that. He says, instead of having your life destroyed, instead of having everything washed away, maybe you'll just lose a shingle and a shutter. And so uh, it's, the analogy is clear. Build on a solid foundation, that's smart. Build on a weak foundation, build on the sand, build on something that's not stable, well, that's not smart. And so he says, people who listen and do as I've taught, that's wise, that's smart. But people who don't, then they're foolish. And I won't ask you to raise your hands, but which one would you like to be? It's not really a hard decision. Like, I don't know. Foolish sounds more fun. I, I, most people get to the point where they're like, I don't want to be foolish. I want to be wise. For example, not many people put this on their Christmas card and send that out. You know, they talk in their Christmas letter. They say, uh, oh, my daughter, she won, the, she, won the, uh, she won the big game. She scored the winning goal. She got straight, a, straight A's on a report card. And here's my boy testing the laws of physics. I don't know. You're not going to brag about that. You're probably only going to tell a limited number of people about that. Maybe you don't want to admit to people with this one that you voted for him, right? In that, in that embarrassing moment, you're like, oh, I think today I'm just not going to mention politics. I'm not going to mention, if you can't see it, George W. has got his book upside down here as he reads along with his kid's book. But in that moment, you're like, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy at all. How about this one? You're talking to your friend on the phone, and you're saying, oh, my husband, he's the best. He's out washing my car right now. And they say, isn't it raining? And you're like, yeah, I'll talk to you later. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not bragging about that moment. That moment becomes a secret. How about this nature lover right here? How much you want to bet three days after this picture was taken, you know, at his funeral, they didn't use that picture at the front next to the casket? Right? They probably just got one of him smiling and waving, right? It's probably a fake picture, but no one's bragging about that moment. Or how about this one when someone asks you, how was your fishing trip? Right? How, 
how encouraged, how, how, how much do you want to just say, oh, uh, we never quite got the boat in the water? You know, I'm not going to give you any more details than that. No one wants to brag about being foolish. Everyone would much, much rather know that they're wise or be able to talk about their wise. And, you know, um, it's kind of the example, you know, like this idea of living on a wing in a prayer, you know. What, what, what is the wise thing to do? To buy homeowner insurance or hope that somebody might start a GoFundU if things go wrong? We know what the wise decision is. So when we're told to follow, believe, and obey, we're being told very specifically that the teachings of Jesus are the things that are worth following. You know, uh, as you read through the New Testament, you will often come across opportunities where people say that Jesus taught with great authority. They'll talk about how powerful his words were, how much authority he carried when he spoke, and it's really simple why. He designed us. He created us. He knows exactly how we work. And so when he tells you how to live your life, it's not to see if he can get you to do it. It's because he knows that you'll benefit from following the design that was laid out for you. You know, he, 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 um, the authority came from the simple fact that he was God and he knew. He knew things that we could never know. And so for some of us today, I think we probably most of us fall into one of three categories when you hear a message like this. And I think the first one might just simply be that to you it's a reassurance. You know, because I would tell you this, that living as Jesus teaches, it is definitely the wise thing to do, but is very often not the easy thing to do. And so you may spend time thinking to yourself, what am I giving up living as Jesus directed me? What am I giving up? What am I losing out on? What is this really costing me? And you might come to the point where you simply say, is it worth it? Is it worth it living to such a high standard? And, and uh, to that, I would simply say this, you never appreciate a solid foundation until you're in the middle of a storm. It's not something you spend time thinking about. You know, it is definitely easier to build your house on sand. It's definitely easier. I mean, you get the benefit of waterfront property, and it's easier, and it takes so much less time. And especially think back to when these guys were building houses. But think about how much more difficult it would be to chisel and dig your way through bedrock to build it on that foundation. You know, but we're, again, we're told by doing what Jesus says to us, that's the equivalent to choosing to build on something that's solid, that strong foundation. I think for some of us, you might hear today's message, and it might be more of a red flag. It might be that more, because that parable really is a warning. It really is a warning to say to you, listen, you can't change your foundation in the middle of a storm. The best you can do is maybe throw some sandbags around. And if you think back to that video, there aren't enough sandbags. Think of it this way, that when you're, when you're given that opportunity to choose how you want to build your life, it's not in a storm. It's when they're, it's in between the storms that you choose, what do I want my life to look like? How do I choose to build on a strong foundation? Is simply by doing as Jesus has taught you to do. You know, I, I would simply add this to that. Regret doesn't feel good. Regret doesn't help you in a storm. Knowing that you've made a mistake doesn't help you in that moment of disaster and so it's really about looking back on your life, and do you want to have a moment where you look back with regret, or would you want to look back with a sigh of relief? Follow, follow, believe, obey. And that just simply means living out what Jesus has taught you. And I think the third one would simply say, for some people, it's a reason. Because some people in those moments where they're in that storm, they think to themselves, where's God gone? Why has God left me in this mess? Why? Has God abandoned me? And if we, of course, we, of course, know that's not true. 
But when you have your feet swept out from underneath you, when you see your house floating down the street past all others, how can you not feel that way? It's such a common feeling for people who have just kind of feel abandoned. And, and really, this is a reason to understand that's not what's happened, that Jesus is still with you, Jesus still loves you, and Jesus still says, there's still time to turn your life towards me, to start listening to what I say, not so that you know it, but so that you can do it, because obedience makes all the difference. You know, you follow until you believe, and then you believe until the point where you're willing to obey. I mean, there's an old joke that basically says, if God is your co-pilot, you should probably switch seats. And uh, I want to finish tonight just by uh, a few words from James, the brother of Jesus, and it's, it's a very well-known passage. We're just going to pick out one verse from it, and it's verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 22. It simply says this, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. And there's that word again, fool. And so as we wrap up, can I just suggest a few next steps for for most of you, depending where you're at? And of course, I don't know exactly where any of you are at, but just some suggestions about kind of what next steps might look like. And the first thing I would say to those of you who are not yet following, can can I encourage you just to take a step? I also want to encourage you, there's no commitment. There's, there isn't this idea that God says you're in or out, and, if, and, and you're somehow trapped by that decision. God just says, follow me. Learn more about me. Because what he knows to be true is that when you follow, you eventually believe. When you know who Jesus is, when you know who God is, how can you not believe he is who he says he is? And so it's not a commitment. It's something as simple as reading your Bible. Read through the Gospels. Just read through them. Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody here at Kingsway who, and ask them this simple question, what has Jesus done in your life? You will be amazed by the answers you get. We know that just from the baptisms when we get a chance to hear as a large group some of those stories. Well, I would suggest to you most people have a very engaging story about some point in their life where Jesus has, has stepped in and just done something amazing in their life, and that's why they choose to believe, and that's why they're still following and, and things like uh, joining a study. Maybe for you, starting point will be your starting point. Maybe that's your opportunity. And for those of you maybe who are not yet believing but are following, can I first of all just say, be patient. There's no rush to this. And I would just simply say that God is doing great work in you. And he's bringing you to the point where when you come to believe in him, you will know that you know that you know. And so be patient. And I would suggest start, go from reading your Bible to studying your Bible, to understanding what's happening in those moments, to, un- to reading a parable like that and understanding what God's teaching us. And can I just say for those of you who are believing but feel like you're not yet obeying, can I just ask you what's holding you back? It's probably fear. In my life, when, I, when I'm being held back, it's fear. But can I just al- remind you that God can and will transform you if you allow him. If you allow him, he can change who you are. He can change how you think, and he can actually change the desires of your heart. And so, actually, let's just pray before we continue. Lord, just so thankful for an opportunity to read your word today, to be able to come together and just hear the words that you spoke 2,000 years later is an amazing, amazing thing. And we're just so thankful that, uh, that during your time here, you taught so clearly, you taught with such authority, and you showed us how to live. And Lord, I just pray that we would be a people and that I would be a person who would be willing to follow, who would know more than just to believe, but to take that step to obey as well and to know that you have laid out for us a blueprint for our lives. 
and you just encourage us to obey. You just encourage us to take your teachings and live them out, not as an act of obedience, but instead to just simply say, I want to follow the directions of my Lord and my Savior because who else is worthy of being followed? Who else should I be listening to? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for a place like King's where we can come together and just say your name and not be afraid, to worship and praise you and not be afraid, and to just be able to know that we can come back next week and just join together again and give you the glory. Let's pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.